You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, everyone. Really good to be together. We're going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is the penultimate message in this passage. Uh, This is an amazing letter, and uh, we have been going through it over the last few months, seeing the Apostle Paul speaking into a bunch of different subjects uh, in the church, things that were really hot topics for them. And we have just come to the end of chapter 15. Last week, Tommy served us so well, I was able to catch up online, uh, sharing about the great hope we have because Jesus rose from the grave. And this is then how the Apostle Paul draws this passage about the resurrection to a close. This is what he says in, uh, well, let's read verse 50 to 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet... For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain." We see in this passage one of these incredible therefore moments. If you look closely in the New Testament, these are all over the place. A truth gets shared, and then what follows is this, therefore, this is how you are now to live. In fact, the Apostle Paul has done this several times in this letter already. He says that the wisdom of man is foolishness to God. Therefore, let no one boast in man. He has said that it is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the correct time, before he comes again. So he's sharing truths and he's saying, this is how you are now to live. This is what he does again and again. We see it in Romans in view of God's mercy, having unpacked all of the incredible aspects of God's mercy. Therefore, my brothers, let us lay down our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. Let's present our bodies to him as living sacrifices. Incredible truths. The deal is this. When we take truth to the heart, when truth is taken deep to the heart, it produces a reaction. That's why we treasure preaching from the Bible. That's why we treasure reading the Bible. That's why we say, read these words, because actually when we take it deep to our hearts, it produces a reaction. These aren't just kind of some things that we just have to sort of mentally say, yeah, I agree with that. No, we take it deep to our heart, and it produces a reaction. And what incredible truth uh, this apostle has shared with his church in Corinth. He said this, Christ has come, and not only has Jesus come, he's died for you, And not only has he died for you, in dying he took 
all of your sin upon himself. He satisfied the demands of the law for you. This demanding law that when we read it, we think crumbs. I fail after two sentences. I've, I've, I've got no chance. He's saying Jesus has satisfied the demands of the law for you. He's saying the sting of death is removed. There is no condemnation awaiting you, no hell, no fear of what's to come in eternity, because if you've placed your faith in Jesus, you do not need to fear that, because there's a glorious eternity. Even though your body will be laid in the grave, Christ is going to come, and the trumpet will sound, and this mortal body that we know all too well, is, it seems to be fading away. This mortal body will put on immortality, and this decomposing, decaying body will become imperishable. We know that is going to be glorious. And I love last week, Tommy just starting to just imagine, what could that look like? We don't know, but it's going to be glorious. It's going to be glorious. Death will be swallowed up in Jesus' victory. And so, therefore, my beloved brothers, he says this, be steadfast, be immovable, be always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Our steadfastness, our immovableness, our abounding in the work of the Lord comes as a direct result of the knowledge that what we do is not in vain. What we do now is not going to be in vain, that we've got a glorious future awaiting us. We need to take this to our hearts and we need to meditate upon these truths. As we fill our minds with these truths, it's right, it is right to fill your mind with thoughts of eternity. It is right to do that. It is right to fill your mind with thoughts of the glory that awaits us. It is a, it's a good thing to do. And as we fill our hearts and our minds with these truths, our lives will look like the lives that Paul describes in this passage. Steadfast. Do you want to be steadfast? It means that we walk forward and we don't step backwards. We are always moving forward. Keep on going. Don't let up. It means being steady as we move forward. Do you want to be immovable? I want to be immovable, don't you? I want to be someone who's not knocked around by the waves. I want to be someone who's not knocked back by worry or knocked back by fear. I want to be immovable. We don't get knocked over by sudden blows. We keep our balance. We stand strong and unshaken when the rains come down and the floods come up because we are anchored in glorious truths of what Jesus has done for us and what he will do for us. So we're anchored. We're immovable. I want to be like that. I want to be like a boulder that can't be washed away. I want to, I want to be described as boulder-like, not in my kind of physical stature, but I want to be described as boulder-like. I want to be immovable. I want to be steadfast in him, and I want to be abounding in the work of the Lord. What does that mean? Well, it means do lots of it. It means abound in it. That's what abound means, to have lots of something to overflow with. I want to fill my days with things that count for Christ. That's what I want to do. In view of this incredible truth, in light of the eternity that awaits me, I want to be abounding in the work of the Lord. In light of what Jesus has done and will do, I want to live a radically different life. Do you? I want this for my life. I want this for your lives. I want to live in such a way that shows that I understand that I have a glorious future awaiting me. I want to live in such a way that shows I understand that all that I could experience here is not really the ultimate. There's some wonderful things to experience here, but it's not the ultimate. I want to live my life 
in such a way that shows that I understand that there is a greater reality, that there's a greater purpose for life than anything else that the world would run after. So my question to you this morning is this, where are you placing your hope? Where are you placing your ultimate hope? As you think about the frantic pace of life, as you think about all that you might be doing with your time, as you think about work and study, as you think about family life, what is ultimately driving you? What is ultimately driving you? What's the engine that's moving your car? What are you actually hoping in? What's driving you at work? What's driving you at home? What's driving you to gain, to get that thing that your heart is consumed with? What are you really driven by? Where are you placing your ultimate hope? And are those places, are those places leading to anxiety, to control, to fear and to anger? If that's the case, then actually it's a sign of misplaced hope. And when those things pop up in our lives, they're like engine lights that come on on the car. Now, if you're anything like me, I see an engine light and I haven't got the first clue what it means. I'm like, there's a light on there. I don't know if it's a bad one or a good one. I have no idea. I have to consult the manual. I have to think what's going on here. Actually, when we see these things popping up in our lives, they're like engine lights coming up thinking, well, maybe I'm misplacing my hope somewhere. I find myself angry about this. I don't know why. Where am I placing my hope? I'm finding myself anxious or fearful. I'm finding myself trying to control things. Where are we fixing our eyes? Are we fixing our eyes on the hope that we have in Christ? Are we fixing our minds on it? This is what the Apostle Paul will say. Just if you flick over the page in your Bibles, you'll probably come to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. This is his second letter to this church that we have in the Scriptures. He says this, We do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. We are to fix our eyes... This sounds illogical, but we're to fix our eyes on that which is unseen. We're to fix our eyes. We don't lose heart even though our bodies are wasting away. We look to what is unseen. And so often we are drawn to fix our eyes and our minds on that which is seen. Am I right? We're so often drawn to the things that are seen, but not the eternal hope that is ours. And that is what The Apostle Paul is doing in this letter again and again and again and in his writings. He's calling the Corinthians to look to the greater reality. He says a couple of chapters before, in in, a few chapters before in chapter 7, this world in its present form is fading away. There's, There's a greater reality that is coming. Jesus is coming back and he will dramatically fix things. There is, no, there is no accident that Jesus worked as a carpenter on earth. There is no accident to that. Because carpenters make things and they fix things. They restore things. And Jesus is the ultimate salvage artist. What he restores will be even better than the original. It will be even better than the original. This world which has now been broken with sin, he's going to restore it. He's going to restore it. And the best that we enjoy here, great food... 
relationships, worship, culture, all the kinds of things that we enjoy here, they are just a foretaste of what awaits us in this restored creation where we'll be without sin and death and curse. There will be no tears in our eyes. We won't be mourning things. And in that world, we will always see God as the fountain of joy. We'll always enjoy him. We'll enjoy him forever. If you think that heaven is going to be boring, you don't understand much about God. Because he is endlessly fascinating. And we're going to be satisfied by him. There's going to be amazing things to enjoy. There's going to be incredible things to enjoy. And I'm going to come on to that in a little while. But we're going to enjoy him. Because he, we'll never be able to exhaust his goodness. We've sung about his goodness this morning. And as Chrissy reminded us, I thought so helpfully, some of us in our 20s or 30s, we've only just really tasted a bit of the goodness of God. Some of you have tasted the goodness of God for 50 or 60 years. Well, even you who've tasted God for 50 or 60 years and his goodness, you haven't even begun to scratch the surface of his goodness. And for ages to come... We will be enjoying God. We'll never exhaust him. We await a beautiful new universe and reality. God himself is going to come and dwell with us. And so if we start with that, uh, that finished uh, work in our minds and we look back and we see God's initial creation and God the new creation, we see ourselves right in the middle of the story. We need to understand that. We're right in the middle of the story. We know some suffering now. But it's not pointless suffering because God, is. we just read, is going to achieve for us a weight of glory through these things. We're a tiny dot in the line of eternity. And yet what we do now does actually have implications for all eternity. What we do now matters and has an effect for eternity. And that, I think, gives us some perspective on bucket lists, doesn't it? It gives us some perspective on bucket lists. It actually, when we consider that there's a great eternity <laughs> ahead of us, that's going to be glorious. It gives us perspective, either that we don't have bucket li lists or that we radically change our bucket lists in light of that truth. We must not assume that our only chance for fun and adventure and to see and experience incredible things is here and now. We, we must not assume that the only chance we're going to get to experience incredible things and see amazing things is, is now. We've got a glorious future ahead of us. That changes things, doesn't it? What's limited now is the opportunity to share Jesus with people. What's limited now, for now, is the opportunity to clothe and feed those in need because there won't be, there won't be need in eternity. What's limited now is an opportunity to see a beautiful bride prepared for Jesus, a beautiful church rising up for Jesus. That is limited to now. And so that's why Paul is saying, in light of all this incredible truth, give yourself wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. Because this is, this is for right now. And that's why the great writer C.S. Lewis said this, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It's since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. This guy had some insight, didn't he? It's Christians who are so enamored with the treasures of this world who think that what we get to experience now is the real deal, the pinnacle of experience. It's those Christians that are actually ineffective in this life. 
But conversely, those who are meditating on eternity, who are not motivated primarily by earthly reward, is actually those who are most effective here on this earth. By meditating, I don't mean sitting cross-legged and humming and you know, finding some sort of... No, I'm talking about Christian meditation here, filling our minds with truth. I'm talking about filling our minds with truth and acting upon it, allowing it to change us. Listen, when you read the New Testament, you read these letters from these apostles, you see again and again them saying the following phrases. You are strangers. You are pilgrims. You are aliens. You are ambassadors. And when you see those words, pilgrims, strangers, aliens, ambassadors, you need to follow the trail there. Because there's a trail for you, and when you follow it, you'll see that actually our citizenship isn't this earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. So that, those, those words should give you a clue that actually we have a great home that we are not in here. Yes, we love Ipswich. I love this town. I love this area. I really do. But it's not my ultimate home. My ultimate home is in heaven. We've become so attached to the world that sometimes we can forget that and we can live in the light that this is our true home. But actually our true home is in heaven. We can become eternity amnesiacs. We can forget. We can get so focused on the opportunities and responsibilities and the needs and the desires of the here and now, and we can lose sight of what is to come. We can lose sight of it. Those things aren't bad things. It's not right just to drop all our responsibilities and the needs of others, but we must always keep an eye on the reality that we have eternity awaiting us. So I wonder how much you dream of eternity. I wonder how much you allow your mind to wonder and think about what it will be like to be with Jesus, that his, make his dwelling place among us. Fill your minds with these thoughts. I wonder if you ever think about the great banquet that we read about in scriptures. I want to read to you some amazing passages. Isaiah 25 being uh, the first of them. On this mountain, this is verse 6, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all the nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. A glimpse of this great feast. And then we see it in a little even more detail in, uh, in Revelation and chapter 19. If you have a Bible, you might want to turn there. And again, verses 6 to 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude. Just imagine that great multitude, uncountable. Like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory 
For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So we see again this amazing picture of a a feast, a marriage supper. The last few weeks, um, my wife Sarah and I, we've met with three different couples who are preparing for marriage. And as much as we say it's about the lifetime rather than about the day, what is the reality is that the day is pretty stressful, right? We're, we're going to be, have been married 10 years this summer, and uh, we still well remember the stress that came about, about planning the reception. Where are we going to have the reception? What are we going to eat at the reception? We really wanted to have fish and chips. That wasn't the done thing. Someone you know, it was not felt that was the right thing to do, so we didn't have fish and chips. We did have pizza delivered later on, which was cool. But there's the stress about that. And then there's the stress about who are we going to... We've got a limited amount of space. Who are we going to invite to the meal? And then, once you've worked that out, where are we going to sit, people? Because that guy's really awkward. And how are we going to... Are we going uh, to have to sit him with that person there? You've got to work out, okay, how, what are we going to do here? That person speaks loads. That person doesn't speak at all. Do we put them together? You've got to work out all of that. And it's kind of quite stressful. And yet Jesus has got this... He's got this feast in his hands, and he has picked the choicest of wines. I am not a wine connoisseur. If I'm having alcohol, I'll have a lager, and uh, if we have people over and we want to offer them wine, I will go to the local uh, supermarket, and I will see which wine has been reduced the most. (laughs) Do you do that as well? I think you probably do. If you don't know anything about wine, you think, well, that was $9.99. Now it's $4.99. I think I'm going to go for that one because it probably is quite a good wine. Well, Jesus has designed the grapes, and he knows exactly what is going to be the choicest wine. He's the one in charge. He doesn't need to go on a booze cruise to France to pick up some cheap wine. No, he has prepared the wine for this meal. He's prepared it. And what's more, he's working out the seating arrangements. And I think he's got some surprises up his sleeves for us. I think he's got some amazing surprises up his sleeves for us. I think you're going to be sitting opposite people who when you get chatting, you're going to work out that they were a piece in the puzzle to you coming to faith. You might be from Nigeria, and you might be thinking, this person here, that person was one of the people who first brought the gospel to my country. Or from the Philippines, you think, my city didn't know anything of Jesus, and then that person came and sacrificed much to bring the gospel to my city. Or you'll be sitting opposite your children's workers, and you'll think, You gave up time and energy for me to share the gospel with me. And there'll be something of the incredible wisdom of God at that seating arrangement. And you'll think, wow, you'll just be, it'll, it'll just point you back to worshiping God. Because you'll see his wisdom at work. I'm sure he's got amazing surprises up his sleeve for us. You'll meet people that you have personally had a part. In, in bringing to Jesus. You'll meet someone and they'll say, hey, you, I think you served in the soup kitchen and you brought food to me. And it felt like for years no one was responding. And it felt like for years no one really cared. They were just taking the food and going, well, you know what? I saw something of Jesus in you and it led me, it led me to explore Jesus for myself. Thank you. And you'll see people 
for whom the hope center that we're giving into next week will be an attraction. People will think, I'm going to just go and have a coffee there. And years down the line, they come to know Jesus. And people will see you and say, you gave into that offering. You gave into it not knowing where, exactly what that money was going to be useful. But I then sat in a coffee shop that your money paid for. And now I'm in heaven with you. You're going to see the wisdom of God at work. And you'll meet Spaniards and Slovaks and Polish and Portuguese. And you'll think, you're here because I gave to Hope Church regularly. And Hope Church gave itself to resourcing church planting right across the continent of Europe. And maybe even beyond. And people are going to be there because you gave into the life of this church. And you'll see the wisdom of God at work and you will rejoice. You'll meet people who are there because you gave yourself wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. Because you abounded in the work of the Lord. And I can guarantee there's one thing that you will not say on that day. As you recline at the table, as you sip this choicest of wine, as you eat this beautiful meat, um, or if you're vegetarian, a beautiful bit of, I don't know, vegetables, I don't know. (laughs) As you recline at that table, there's one thing that you will not say, and it is this, I wish I hadn't given myself wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. You'll say, you will not say, I wish I hadn't given that money that I was holding back. I wish I'd never given it. I wish I had saved it for something else. Or I wish I hadn't given up my time once a month to serve the children's work at this church because it was just exhausting for me or it was too much of a commitment. You know, you will not say that. You will say, I'm glad I gave myself wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. That is what you will say. And I gave up my Friday nights to serve the youth group or I I opened up my home to people who were lonely and I welcomed them into my house. And none, none of that time, none of that giving, none of that serving, none of that money will you regret giving over. Not, you're not, you're not, that will not be going through your mind. You'll see the wisdom of God at work and you'll say, I'm glad I gave myself wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. And I'm glad I gave myself wholeheartedly until I was dead. <laughs> I'm glad I gave it for the whole of my life. I didn't take my foot off the gas. I didn't say I'm going to come into a nice easy retirement now. No, I'm glad I gave myself wholeheartedly. That's why the Apostle Paul has said that their work for the Lord is never in vain. Because this is more like a farming deal than it is a sales deal. Do you know that? Maybe you're in sales and you kind of make sales quite a lot. And you think, yeah, I can say to my boss, I've made 15 sales this term. Well, you know what? Farmers, it doesn't really happen like that. Farmers plant seeds in the ground and they're not going to see anything for a long time. With apple trees, I read this week, that it takes eight years from the planting of an apple tree to the apple tree bearing fruit. That's a long time, isn't it? And that's why it can be sometimes tempting to think, my work for the Lord is in vain, because I'm not seeing anything happening here. I'm not seeing anything happening. But actually, in eternity, I mean, I believe we're going to see it in this life. I, think, I believe we're going to see a lot of fruit in this life. But in eternity, we will see the fruit of our labor. And it will not be in vain. It will not be in vain we'll see the wisdom of God at work. So let's give ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. Let's give and let's serve. Listen, giving and serving and happiness go hand in hand. They really do. Serving and giving and happiness, they go together. In the only recorded phrase of Jesus outside of the Gospels in the Bible, we see Jesus in Acts 20 being quoted as saying this, It is more blessed to give than to receive. 
Literally translated, that means this. It is more happy-making to give than to receive. If you want to be happy, have a life that is all about giving and serving. Have a life that is all about giving and serving. The happiest people I know are those that give and serve. And the most miserable people I know are those that say, no, it's all about me and my desires and my wants. It's more happy-making to give than to receive. It is gladness generating. Obviously, we want to give in just overflow of all that Jesus has done for us. That is our kind of motivation. But it's also pretty good to know that actually these things are so linked. And it's actually, it's, it's happy-making to give than to receive. It's gladness generating. The Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. God takes delight in the believer who takes delight in giving. So next week as we give, know that this isn't a compulsion thing. If it helps you to know this, I've got no idea who gives what. And I don't want to know. This is not a compulsion thing. This is a heart thing as we grasp a hold of something of eternity in our hearts and we say, I want to give, I want to invest in eternity. I want to invest in the work of God here in Ipswich and beyond. Know that as we give on a regular basis, not just in our special offerings, but with our monthly giving, God takes delight in the believer who takes delight in giving. We give by standing order, Sarah and I, and that's helpful for us. We can budget, it's helpful for the church to budget. But what we sometimes lose then is that joy of the monthly kind of giving. You know, you can sometimes think, well, I haven't really thought about it this month. It's just come out. But let's keep it in our minds. There's joy in giving away what God has given to us. And if you've got children, can I encourage you, involve them next week in giving. Involve them in it. Involve them maybe even in talking about it beforehand and working it out. Because they will thank you for it. They will thank you for it someday. You might be kind of preoccupied with wanting to uh, to. to Leave as much for your children as possible. Listen, your children will thank you as you live a life of generosity now. One day when they mature, they'll thank you. They may not have everything on their wish list right now, but when they mature, when they place their faith in Jesus for themselves, they'll say, thank you for demonstrating generosity. Thank you for doing that. I'm grateful for my parents who gave generously for years and years. And probably in my immaturity at times, I thought, crumbs, I could go, we could go on much better holidays. We could go on much, if you didn't give away that money, mum and dad, we could go on much better holidays. But now, with some measure of maturity, I can say thank you. Thank you for demonstrating to me that Jesus is far better than money. Thank you for consistently showing me that. Thank you for demonstrating to me investing in eternity. Please, look, passing on an inheritance to your children is not a bad thing. If you can do it, do it. It's a good thing. But be much, much more concerned about passing on a heritage to your children of Christ-centered living, of kingdom-centered giving, of saying it's all about Jesus and his glory. Pass on a heritage more than an inheritance. Make it about passing something on to them that they see that you serve others and you serve the church and you give yourselves wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. That is a far greater heritage to give than tens of thousands of pounds. I'm not saying don't do it. If you can do it, do it. But what is much more important is that you give them the very best heritage that you can give them. So, as we finish, 
Let's come back to this verse. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What is this work of the Lord? It's that Jesus is restoring all things, that he's calling us to partner with him in bringing others into his restoration. And it's with that in mind that we give of our time, of our talents, of our treasure to say, Jesus, I'm, I want to partner with you. I want to invest in eternity. I want you to be glorified. Let's show the world that we know that we have a hope in heaven. Let's show the world that we know we have a hope in heaven that is far greater than financial comfort, than material wealth. There is something far better. And if you are not a Christian here, and I know that every week we have people amongst us who are exploring faith, let me tell you this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better. That's what I want you to take away from today. Jesus is so much better. He's so much better than riches. He's so much better than the nicest clothes or fancy holidays. He's so, so much better. Knowing him, to know his love and forgiveness is infinitely better than having an easy, trouble-free, materially rich life. And today, this Jesus, who we've sung about and we've worshipped, he says this to you in Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Behold, I st- I'm at your door, and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him, and he with me. And the amazing deal about this knocking on the door from Jesus is that it's not a kind of door knock that you kind of think, crumbs, there's someone at the door, I better get some clothes on, I better run downstairs and make myself presentable. No, you can open the door to him right now, And he will come to eat with you. He will come and have fellowship with you. Listen, I want to encourage you to open the door to him today. Accept his love and forgiveness for yourself. If there's nothing else that you take away from today, know this, Jesus is better. Let's pray, shall we? And then these guys may uh, lead us or we'll just see where God takes us, really. Heavenly Father, we want to be those who in light of eternity give ourselves wholeheartedly to the work of the Lord. Lord, we know that in the light of eternity, nothing we do for you is ever in vain. That we will see the fruit of it someday. Lord, we're going to see the fruit of it even in these next few months as this new building gets readied. We're going to see amazing instant fruit. But we trust you that in all that we do, Lord, we're going to see fruit. Because nothing, nothing given for you, no service given to you is ever in vain. And Lord, we want to be those that meditate on eternity. We want to fill our minds with glorious truth. Lord, we want to be those that are shaped by that reality. Lord God, would you... Would you just change us, I pray. Change us, I pray, as we seek you first, as we seek your kingdom first. Change us, I pray. And I want to ask you, Lord, for my friends here who maybe are looking in and thinking, not quite sure what this is all about. I pray that you would just come and speak to hearts now. 
Lord, maybe we, we can identify things that we've placed our hope in and it's led to fear, it's led to anxiety, it's led to addictions, it's led to dependence on stuff. And Lord, I pray that for my friends here who don't yet know you, that you would just reveal yourself to be far better, far more dependable, far more trustworthy. And Lord, we just want to say in light of all you've done for us, we give ourselves to you. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in